Pastor Andy has seen you can Baptist dance and clap at the same time. And this was all a trick to see if you could do it. I tell you what, I saw the Baptist dance. The, that's what it is. Y'all didn't know that, but I, I've been in Baptist church a long time, and I've seen it. I also have another thing. I can't say this as a fact before we get in our Hebrew, but as I was standing back there with Austin, I realized this is the first time I've actually felt home in about three years because I heard bluegrass this morning and I'm about to talk to y'all in Hebrew. And for the last few years, that had pretty much been my whole life. And so it's nice to have that completeness. And it did occur to me, you're in the vast minority of churches that will go from a bluegrass gospel hour to learning Hebrew within three minutes, and right here in the middle of Virginia, nonetheless, we're going to go over Genesis verse 1, and then I'm going to show you Genesis verse 1 as we repeat it back. Well, it's up. You can go ahead and put it up there. It's fine. I'm going to read through it first, and then we'll do it together. Bereshit, bara Elohim, et Hashemaim, ve'et ha'eretz. Now let's do it together. Remind them from right to left up there. So it's right to left, and I'm actually going to, it's going to get highlighted. I'm going to stop in between each word and, um, and show you a couple little things. So we can start with our first word. It's Bereshit. So that's going to be Bereshit. In the beginning. Can Say it, in the beginning. Can y'all read that? See the titles under it? Yes, yeah, small. That's okay. Just repeat after me. So let's do it again. Better sheet. There's three words in there. That's in the beginning. The next word, bara. That's the word created. Next word, Elohim. That's the word for God. Next word is et. Don't mean nothing. We ain't going to go into that one. Next word, Hashemaim. That is the heavens. Next word, ve'et, it skipped one. That's and. And the last word, ha'eretz. That's the earth. All right, blessed is the word of God this morning. Oh, man. Thank you, Pastor Stephen. Appreciate him teaching us Hebrew every week. Um, you can open your Bibles to Genesis 3. I, I, I did enjoy uh, having bluegrass band. Um, Bluegrass descends from the Scott Irish coming over and settling in Appalachians. And I was uh, telling Brother Fred there before, I, I just watched a YouTube video about that. And uh, they were interviewing Ricky Skaggs. And he said he was playing a song with the chieftains. And the guy said, where, where did you pick up that picking pattern? And he said, from an old man in the mountains of Kentucky. He said, they pick like that in this town in Ireland. And it had just descended through the centuries and uh, still doing the same kind of music. And my dad used to, which he comes from the, near the highlands of North Carolina, he, that, that uh, he used to play harmonica on the radio. I didn't know that. But now my dad was born in 1919, so it wasn't like, you know, modern radio, but, but uh, him and his cousin. So uh, I, I sure appreciate that, as Stephen said, going back to, to something we, we, we like to hear. And, and, we, and I appreciated what we just sang because that is the good news, amen? The power and the blood. Because I'm about to tell you the bad news why we need the good news, all right? Uh, in fact, I uh, heard a, a pastor uh, this week, uh, I don't know if it was a recent sermon or an older sermon, um, uh, pretty close by to us, and he said that at our center, at our core, we are not broken, we are not bad, we are, we are beloved. 
Well, the Bible says at our core, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? Man was cursed in the garden. Well, actually, that's not quite true. All creation was cursed because of the man in the garden. And the man and the woman had some fall from that, had some bad things happen to them. But God only said he cursed the ground. I want you to notice that. And uh, also, uh, he, he gave it pretty hard to the serpent, the devil. So, we're going to pick this story up in verse 8. But again, we are in a series on Genesis, the beginning, uh, the start of the story. And today is the curse. And here's what I want you to take home with you. I want you to be thinking about this while we're, while we're preaching today. Go ahead to the next thing, please. The curse is real. The cure is grace. You got to know that curse is real. That's why I said this uh, other pastor, he's trying to tell you that, that it's not such a bad thing. It's not a big deal, but it is a big deal. But there is an answer, and that's the hope. But I want you to feel the curse before you realize the hope. You see, you can't, you can't hear the whispers of Golgotha till you hear the shouts of Mount Sinai. You can't know grace until you know curse because you don't think you need it. If, if we're okay, listen, we, we've been telling people you're special, you're wonderful, just like you are, you're great. And then we, they wonder, well, why do I need Jesus? We need Jesus because we're not great, we're not wonderful. He's got to do that in us. He makes us any good in us. Paul said, probably we say, besides Christ, the greatest Christian that ever lived, Paul said, in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. He said, I'm the chief of sinners. And yet we still pump, pump people up and hold them up when we ought to hold up Jesus. And thank God for the grace in people's lives that he has radically changed them. And testimonies right here in this room today of God's radical grace in their life. So I want you to have hope, but I want you to understand that we needed that hope. We need that grace because of what happened. In verse 8, and you can stand up with me because I'm going to read a lot here. So if you'll stand up with me. Let me check the time. Okay. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now, let me just pause. Y'all think God didn't know that? <laughs> okay. God don't ask questions he don't know the answer to, just in case you didn't know. But he'll ask questions to get you to think. All right? And the man said, verse 12, The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. What a hero. Blamed her. Verse 13, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me. And I ate. So water runs downhill. They keep passing the blame along. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you. He cursed the serpent and he cursed the ground. Above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. And on your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. 
thorns and thistles that shall bring forth for you and, and you shall pl- eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. And the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden he, he placed the cherubim and flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Would you pray with me? Lord God, as we come to this um, uh, the story uh, that that has uh, plagued us uh, ever since, Lord, we see even in the in the uh, curse and even in the fall, we see your grace already uh, being uh, ex- exposed and hinted at and open to us. So, Lord, now we ask that you would do what we cannot do for ourselves, and that is open the eyes of our understanding, behold wonderful things out of your word. And Lord, anyone here today who is still under the curse instead of under grace, I pray that you would prick their hearts with the gospel of Jesus who took that penalty for us that we could walk freely. And I pray for those of us who have had that act of grace in our life that we would live up to the work of God in our lives. And we pray it and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all can sit down if you want to. If you're too excited, that's all right. You can stay standing. In this, in this text here, there's, there's a whole lot. I've got a whole lot to go through, but I'm going to just kind of summarize some of it. But first, we see that God called and confronted the man. Anytime that uh, I believe that if you're a believer and you mess up, God will confront you with that sin. In fact, Hebrews 12 promises that and says, if you're not confronted, if you're not afflicted because of wrongdoing, that means you're not his child. Just like, I don't go around spanking everybody else's kid, but I would spank mine. Now, I know I can say that safely now because they're all grown and nobody's going to sick DSS on me because I'm not spanking them anymore. They're too big. They beat me up now. But, but, but what I mean is I would not correct your child, not in a way a father would, because it's not my child. And the Bible says in Hebrews 12, if God's not your father, have at it. He's going to give you just what you asked for. He's going to leave you alone. And so you can go your merry way whistling into hell. But if you're his child, he'll keep correcting you. He'll bring you back into that narrow way. And if you are corrected and do not listen, it says in Proverbs 29.1, a man being often reproved, hardening his neck, shall suddenly be cut off, that without remedy. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, the man who would not repent of a gross immorality, he said, turn him over to the devil for the destruction of his flesh, that his soul may be saved. I believe a Christian who's unrepentant is going to face a severe judgment in this world from God. Now, uh, I'm not saying you lose your salvation, but I'm saying that God is paying attention to you. But if you are in habitual sin, according to the book of Galatians in chapter 5, you have no hope of heaven. It says that those who do these things in a continual habitual way ha- will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so I just need to warn you of that. And here we find the genesis of it, the beginning of it, uh, here in this passage. Last week we saw uh, how Satan deceived Eve, and then Eve gave it to Adam, and Adam ate it. And suddenly their eyes are open, and they're ashamed because they were naked. So they made, uh, tried to make some clothes out of fig leaves, and those don't last so long. And, the, and we come to verse 8, and the next day they heard the sound of God walking in the garden. Now can you imagine that? That, that every day God shows up, 
We, we believe it was every day, but they knew it was God walking. That no other being except animals were there. It's a different sound between footsteps. And God is walking in the midst of the garden. Now, I, I don't want this to be fuzzy in your mind. Every time in the Old Testament we see God where he appears to men, whether it be here or when he appears to Abraham or the three boys in the fiery furnace, wherever God shows up so that he can be visibly seen, that is a pre-incarnate Jesus. Now, I say pre-incarnate because he did not have a human body until Bethlehem. Or nine months before Bethlehem, you know what I mean. He did not have that human body till then, but he was already the Son of God by, by how he reveals himself to us. And he is the spoken word, the one that gives us the sight of God, that shows us God, that speaks to us about God. And so when God would appear to Moses as he wrote the Ten Commandments, that was Jesus. It's always Jesus who appears. And so this is Jesus walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. And now they are ashamed and they hear his voice and they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Why would they hide? Because they were ashamed. That's why they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. That's why, when, as a young kid, I, I grew up a, just a few blocks away from what we called the Strip. And the Strip was Reynolds Avenue. And Reynolds Avenue led into the main gate of the Navy Yard in Charleston, South Carolina. North Charleston, South Carolina, actually. And there was just bars all the way up to the gate. And uh, my cousin was... Uh, proprietor of one of those establishments. Uh, I got a cousin everywhere, friend. I got them missionaries in South America. I got them keeping bars in Charleston. I got everything. And going down that street, I never saw a bar, and, and to this day, I've never seen a bar with clear, bright windows you could see in. Why? Because we want what we're doing hidden. We don't sin openly, usually. And when sin breaks out into the open, man, we are far gone. Hello, America. Because it's rampant. It's all around us. And God, and, and these, this man and this wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. But then the Lord God called out to the man. He will not leave us alone and said, where are you? Now, again, God knows where he was. <laughs> He's making Adam answer the question, where am I? This isn't a, a question of physical presence. It's a question of where are you now spiritually? Where are you standing? Where, why are you having to hide from me? Because God only ever intended to love man. He only ever intended to give man the very best, obviously. But, Adam, but we sinned and God calls out, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. And again, Jesus asked him a question to get his attention, to get him to focus on the problem and says, who told you you were naked? Who told you that? Did you eat of the tree? I command you not to eat because that's the result of eating the tree. You know, I, I, I sometimes have to counsel with people who, who are struggling through some issue or, or not. And, and many times they'll, they'll be trying to explain it. And you know, I'm the pastor. Of course, I'm perfect. I've never sinned. I, I wake up every day with a halo, right? No, I, I, I get it too. But, but, but they're ashamed. They're scared to say it because, you know, I am the pastor, you know. And then I'll just say, are you trying to say? And I'll tell them what they were trying to say. And they go, oh, how'd you know that? <laughs> because we're all the same. We all, you're not a special kind of sinner. We are all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all need the same grace. And here, God is trying to get Adam 
to, to realize the result of what you've done is now that you have sinned. You have broken the command I gave you. And so they had hidden and God speaks to Adam and he gives them this confrontation. And he says, did you eat of the tree? And the man said in verse 12, well, that woman that you gave me. <laughs> How about that? No longer she got a pretty name. No longer is it my wife. It's that woman you gave me. And, and men, we're always in trouble when we approach God that way about the woman that he gave us. The Bible says that a good wife is a good thing and, uh, and, and is to be celebrated. We are the bride of Christ. We are his bride and he celebrates us. The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Well, that's no excuse. It's never right to do wrong. It's always wrong to do wrong. Right? That's horse sense, y'all. That's a captain obvious statement, but we forget that. It's always wrong to do wrong. It's never right to do wrong. But it's always right to do right. And, he, and Adam passes it along to Eve. And, and God doesn't even address it at this point. He's like, okay, let's just follow this where you're leading. To the woman, he said... Uh, what is this you have done? And she said, well, that serpent <laughs> deceived me and I ate. And so God says, all right, let me, let me settle this. And he turns to the serpent. Now, we know that there is a physical serpent there. And nobody, no matter what they say, no matter what I would say, knows what that serpent looked like. Now, I believe in certain things, but it's just what I think. And so it's not worth saying up here because I don't know. And you don't know and nobody knows. But we do know this, his form changed, obviously. Whatever that serpent was before is about to be different. And he says to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Now, let's just pause there a minute. A snake, there's no snake known to man, I don't believe, that eats dust. Uh, there are some earth snakes that burrow and things, but... These snakes don't eat dirt, right? But what, so that was that. It's a metaphor. You're the lowest of the low. You're going to crawl in the dirt. But so much so that in Isaiah 65, as God talks about the millennium, when, when all things are made right, he says, the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox and dust shall be the serpent's food. You ever thought about that? They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. Even when God restores all things, he doesn't restore the shape of the serpent. That's kind of, yeah, I know, wow. I read that and went, whoa. And I'm not smart enough to figure that out. Somebody showed that to me in a book. But that's pretty intense, isn't it? And so God goes on, though, and this, this is where it gets real meaty here. We, and we understand it's not, he's not cursing the, the physical snake other than its form. But this is, he's speaking directly to Satan who has filled that snake and caused it to do what it did. He says, I will put enmity, which means warfare, between you and the woman. In other words, your eternal enemies. And between your offspring and her offspring, you shall, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There are multiple uh, realities in those words. Because he does not expressively say Christ, but I want you to know some things that leads to Christ. But I want you to take it at face value. First of all, he's saying, I'm going to put enmity between you, Satan, and this woman and her offspring. Where does the devil always attack? I'll tell you, he attacks our kids. 
Evil people like Margaret Sanger, who started abortion to eliminate the black race in America. Don't ever forget that. It's an attack on the children. It's an attack to destroy them. When, when they want to teach our children at young ages in government-run schools, things that will destroy their lives, that is a work of the devil. You will always see the worst things that are happening happen to children. Why? Because Satan hates the offspring of man. Just don't forget that. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, do not, or to all of them, don't forbid these children to come to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. It says, their angels are always beholding the face of the Father. In other words, they get the highest rank in angels. And I believe that because I've seen kids do stuff should have killed them and it didn't, me included. And he says, but he goes on, between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, there's a couple of things there. One is a woman doesn't carry seed. Men carry seed. And he says her seed. There's only one man been born to a woman without the benefit of an earthly father and that's Jesus that's the only woman who in a sense ever carried seed but I want you to notice one other thing too who helped Adam to fall now I'm not going to blame the woman everybody likes to blame him I don't want it in the sense that well she started it she did it all no Adam had that option if he'd have obeyed or heard what she did wasn't accounted but he didn't obey. He should have obeyed earlier and stopped her from even doing that. But he didn't. But through what, a woman came a curse to mankind. And her seed was born without the benefit of a human father and brought salvation to mankind. So we can, we can hold those against each other and understand, hey, this is, this is a work of God and he's saying something. And he shall bruise uh, your head and you shall bruise his heel there's that bite of the snake and as far as the snake can reach is you know the lower regions usually unless you as we saw in a film a few weeks ago when we were studying the end of mark you play with them they'll bite you in the face you don't want that to happen but you leave them alone about the best they can do is your knee down but in the trying to strike christ he crushed its head and he was bruised for our iniquity his the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. And he went through that death. At, you know, the snake can bite you, but you don't die right away unless it's a mamba. It's going to take you a little while. And we don't have any mambas in North America for all the kids. I, man, I you see stuff on TV, and I thought, I thought army ants were going to come eat me. You know, <laughs> all those things are in South America. Oh, I learned that. I got relief. You know, I was about 20. I was like, oh, good. They're not around. That's, no, I'm just kidding about being 20. <laughs> But you, think about it. Satan did bruise his heel. Satan did put him to death. But he rose again. He didn't stay dead. And when that snake bites you, you got a little time left. And in dying, Jesus crushed his head and defeated him forever. And so there's hope here in the midst of the curse. But to the woman, he said, I will multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Now, it was always God's will for her to give birth to children. But it it used to not hurt. 
I heard one preacher say, his wife said, when I get to heaven, I'm going to whoop Eve for all that pain she caused. I'm just going to whoop her. Listen. It says, your desire should be contrary to your husband. That, it's a word there that they struggle with. It says, your desire shall be for your husband. And, and, and what it means, that word just literally means a painful obsession will be for your husband. But he'll rule over you. You see, God didn't mean for there to be that kind of real hierarchy going on. But now because of what has happened, God says, well, he's going to be the manager of the house. He's the, he's the guy that's going to be in charge of things. It's not a despotism which false religions take and, and make the man the master and you got it like a woman's a slave. Not at all what God intends here. God intends for man to manage the household to be the one who makes sure everything is, is taken care of, provided for, and running correctly. But the woman the whole time, I didn't do that on purpose, something just, the devil don't want me to say it, I guess. But anyway, that was a silly thing to say, what? Um, but her desire be for her husband and you know what I believe? I believe it's because my wife can see the answer like a mile before I get to it. You know what I mean? I mean, she can do three things before I can think through it once. Well, that's got to be frustrating to y'all. Sorry. <laughs> you know, I don't know what to say. It's just the way it is. And God here says, because of this, now you, this, is, this is your place. And it's funny, all the, all the people cry out for equal rights for women. Obviously, I believe in equal rights for women. Our laws are written, there's equal rights for women. It's a stupid thing to say. But, but uh, there's no woman that has less rights than any man. But in trying to free themselves, I, I heard a guy, not a Christian, say, whoever convinced women that the greatest job in the world was, was worse than having a career? That, that counting, you know, pages and numbers or working was greater than raising the generation that will set the culture of our country where it ought to be. It's, it's crazy that we think that way. I'm, I'm not opposed to women working. I'm glad my wife works. I'm glad she does. Proverbs 31, a godly woman works, brings income to the household. I'm not saying that's a wrong thing but what I'm saying is what is should be our attitude to motherhood and to to women and to wives it ought to be elevated it ought to be wow what a job you've been given it's awesome and to Adam he said wait a minute that sounds different there at verse 17 it's no longer ha Adam it's just Adam it's no longer the Adam it's not clear in English but trust me in the better sheet bara a language it's changed now it's his name before it was more of a title the head of mankind now it's Adam you're the man and this is what you've done and he is pinning it on him specifically because you listen to the voice of your wife see it, he's the one that messed up and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you shall not eat of it cursed is the ground because of you he didn't curse the man, he cursed the ground because of him. And in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it will bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. In other words, man was always intended to work. But man, before the fall, the, the, the work was easy. The fruit just grew. The, the food was just there. And he just had to take care of it. 
And I don't know what it meant to take care of it because it was all fine. It was perfect. But now you got to work at it. You got to plow. You got to water. You got to fertilize. You got to hope there's not a disease. You got to hope uh, that there's not a horde of locusts come in and eat it. It's, it's difficult. And in the best years, sometimes it still doesn't work. And, and it will be a struggle for you for all of your life. And by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken. For you are dust, and to dust you will return. In other words, God said, men, you always had to work, but now your work's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. It's going to be, it's going to, to do the very same thing, just to eat, it's going to take a lot more work. God didn't curse us to work. We were already working. He just said, it's going to be a whole lot harder now. Because the ground is now cursed because of you. I, I, I guess there was no thorns or thistles. I'm, I'm not sure that God created a new plan here. But he did something just as he changed the shape of the serpent. Now thorns and thistles is what the ground will produce. I used to joke because my dad grew up on a farm. And my dad could plant a garden, you know, between the cracks in the sidewalk and make it grow. I don't know how he did it. And so I got older and I thought I'd make a garden. I used to tell people I finally figured out how to grow beautiful grass. It's you plow it all up, fertilize it, water it, and plant corn. And you will get grass, okay? That's, that's how that works, you know? You plant a crop, and brother, you're going to get grass. It just seems that. So I just quit. I just plant hay now. It's like, oh, everything's working good. No, I don't plant hay. But, but you get what I'm saying. Now it's very, very difficult. And you got to work at it. But that's kind of the setup. And, and, and I know that took a long time, but... But here's, it's the setup because God covers us. And I do want to give you the hope. Man, we are, we are, we have blown it. And I want you to notice, Adam and Eve do not really confess here. They blame each other and then God brings them back to account and said, no, not her, you, dude. You did, girl, you shouldn't listen to him. Satan, it's me and you now, buddy. It's going to be mostly me. I'm going to take care of you later, Right? That's, that's the Stuart version of the Bible, by the way. But beginning in verse 20, I want you to start seeing the hope in this passage. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Adam realizes this woman, though we've messed up, is the woman that is going to produce all of mankind. Now, for years, I'm just going to pause here for a second. For years, liberals have, have just laughed at the idea that we would believe there was only one man and one woman, and from them all men and women came. That has now been scientifically proven by DNA. Just let you know, in the past you know, a decade or so, once we got DNA, they started doing it and researching it. And they found out that all women came from a common ancestor and all men have come from a common ancestor. Now, the evolution has a real problem <laughs> because they think we descended from different kind of monkeys in different places. I still like that poem. First, I was a tadpole beginning to begin. Then I was a frog with my tail tucked in. Then I was a monkey in a banyan tree. And now I'm a professor with a PhD. <laughs> You want to believe that silliness? Go ahead. But now they got a problem because all human beings came from a common set of ancestors. Their names were Adam and Eve. And Adam looks at his wife and says, you're the mother of all living. No longer is she the woman 
She's Eve. There's hope in that. Adam is saying, I get it, God. You're going to continue us. It's going to keep going. You got something for us. And he calls his wife Eve. And then the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Man, I don't know if you've ever noticed this. I know it's been said by other people many times. It's been said by me at times. God made a sacrifice of animals and made clothes out of their skins. And man saw what death was. They hadn't seen it before. And God was setting up a pattern. He's showing them something. You got to sacrifice these animals. And then all the Old Testament, he sets up a sacrificial system for man to show us. John 1.29, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. As Jesus becomes the sacrificial lamb for us on the Passover some 2,000 years ago, Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. And now we are clothed in his righteousness. Amen? So God has to kill two animals and made skins, uh, garments of skin for them. And then there's a further act of grace. You may not have thought of it this way. But verse 22, and the Lord God said, Behold, man's become like one of us in the fact of knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also hold of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim, a flaming sword, turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. If man as a sinner had eaten of the tree of life and lived forever, he would have eternally, we would have been eternally lost. Death is the gift of God that brings us salvation and life. Now in the system that man has, I don't want to use the word created, but caused, the system is of life and death. And the only way to pay for their sin is through death. He shows it by sacrificing animals. He predicts it when he's talking to the serpent about the serpent's head and the man's heel. He painted a little picture here that's going to expand through time. But he starts it here and he protects us so that we can be saved later by throwing us out of the garden so we cannot partake of the tree of life. Now, you ask, well, what happened to that tree? Well, just go read Revelation 20 21. You'll find out where that tree is now. It's in heaven, planted on both sides of the river that the Holy Spirit waters it and bears fruit 24 or 12 months out of the year, a different fruit each month, and it's for the healing of the nations. When we get there, we'll eat that fruit, we'll live forever, we'll always be healthy, and our sin will be gone. It's a great thing. But God in his mercy cast men out of the garden so we can't get to the tree. And people have been looking for Eden ever since. And of course, you got all these mythical stories and, and things about finding Eden. I believe, you know, the place, the physical place where Eden was, I personally believe it's underwater somewhere because the continents rose and fell when we get to Genesis 9 and 10. You'll see that. But, but God's cast him out of the garden. And I just, this is just a personal thing I think is so cool. He guards the way with an angel. I believe that angel's still standing there wherever Eden is. He, he sends out, down cherubim. Now, a cherub, we use that word, and you think of the fat little baby with the tiny wings and a little bow and arrow. No, these are the bad boys that God made. These are the warriors. You know, the, the, some people look at it, I say he's the guardian of Asgard. That's what he looks like. 
And that sword, I never knew what this meant. I was studying this and I, I finally, I never thought about it. Notice it says a flaming sword that turns every way to guard the way. I, I thought about bringing a weapon up here, you know, just to show you. But, but you can imagine a, a sword fighter and he's just doing this to keep somebody away. That's what it means. It's just, it's just spinning. You walk into that dude, man, you're, you're cut to pieces before you get another step. And I believe that angel's still standing there spinning that sword. Personally, that's just my belief. Because God stationed an angel there. And this flaming sword guards the way to the tree of life. And you're not going to get through unless you know the password. Jesus is Lord. That's the only way through. Well, what can you do with all this? Well, first of all, take responsibility for your sin. Man up, woman up. Yeah, I blew it. I messed up. I sinned. And I need the grace of God provided by the cross of Christ to save me from that sin. We, we got to get there. If you don't ever get there, you don't have any hope in this world or in the one to come. Secondly, God still shows up when we sin to recover us to himself. I mean, God could have said, well, they blew it. <laughs> Good luck, dude. You're done. He could have just thrown it all away and started over if he wanted to, but he didn't. He showed up to let man know, I'm going to give you hope. I'm going to give you an answer. And one day there's going to be a Savior. Now it's not explicit, but it's in there. You can see it in there because we're looking back. We got 2020 hind vision. I'm not sure Adam and Eve understood everything God was saying there. They just knew they were gone. But we still see that hope. And God will still show up to recover you if you are repentant and open to him. And then thirdly, how can you thank God for the grace in your life? What, what area of your life where you say, man, yeah, I just, I deserved so bad and God gave me grace. He gave me mercy. He strengthened me not to sin or he forgave me from my sin and set me on the right path. Man, thank God this week for his grace because our judgment was put on Christ so that we could have the grace of God. We do no longer live under the curse of Adam because we've been born into the family of Christ. We are new creations. Old things pass away. All things become new. We have an advocate with the Father when we sin, the man Christ Jesus, and he stands before the judge and he advocates for us and the blood shall never lose its power.